Welcome back. Hello, how are we doing? How are we going on? Um, today we're joined by Lisa Scott. Um, so Lisa, you run a podcast as well. Yep. Do you mind telling us a little bit oh, oh a little bit about it? Yeah. So mine it's a pretty new thing. I started <laughs> I've been thinking about doing it for a long time. I'm a therapist in private practice and I just started seeing so many general themes of things that people were struggling with on a pretty basic human level. And I thought, what's the best way to get this out to people that want to use it or are looking for help? And in here in the States, we have some pretty poor access to mental health care. So I just started taking these broad topics that I thought people might be interested in and making podcast episodes out of them. And I take people's questions um, and encourage them to email me and I'll make a podcast episode if that's helpful, but I really just want to deliver things that people can use in their daily lives that they can connect with. And the other thing I was, I was looking at when I was listening to other mental health or self-help podcasts was that a lot of it was like kind of these really deep concepts that we think about in grad school that, yeah, we learn about, but what does that actually mean for people and how do they use it? So I really wanted to make it user friendly and something that people could connect to. And it's just kind of taken off and it's been it's been pretty cool. So I'm happy to be doing it. That's awesome. We're glad you're doing it. We're glad we can get to talk to you today. Yeah, we yeah. are. Uh, so how long have you actually been doing the podcast for then? So I just started in June of this year. Oh, um, nice. A lot of time to think about it when we first got quarantined. <laughs> and I thought, why not now? So, yeah, I just started in June. Awesome. Yeah, we're, we're the same. We we start yeah we started in uh like May. It was all, all right. because of quarantine really because like uh Jared put up a tweet and he was just like oh yeah thinking about starting a podcast he's in and me and Thomas replied and like me and Thomas were outside of that we were kind of thinking about doing one as well uh, individually. But, yeah. Yeah. But then Jared put it up and we we're like oh yeah that's that's a sign like we have. So to then do we it now. you know kind of took pity on Jared and brought him in. On yeah, we're like and... oh we feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> But now, you know, we've all, you know, we're all like a little family that kind of just like bullies each other. It's very dysfunctional. Constantly. Very. For yes. everybody, <laughs> the best. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what was I going to say? <laughs> we're all kind of here about supporting, you know, talk about mental health. We like talking about it a lot, you know. Yeah, we had uh, an Irish guy talk about it pretty recently. So, good to talk about it again. It's very important. It is. It really is, yeah. It's very, and you know, something that I tell a lot of my clients that get nervous about starting therapy or asking for help is, you know, I know that there's a stigma and it's not always easily accessible, but you know, like if you fell down and broke your arm and went to the hospital and the doctor said, you need a cast, would you say, no, I think I'll go it alone. Yeah. You know, that's kind of how I think about <laughs> it and help is like, you're, you're really, you know, saying, no, I don't need the cast. And it's unfortunate. I know over here in the States, there's a really big stigma and there's, it's really difficult to get access to. So I think the more we can talk about it and normalize that we're all human and life isn't an Instagram highlight reel, that it's okay to have negative emotions. I think the, that's the greatest gift we can give each other is to understand that we're all human, you know? And I think that that's a concept that seems to be lost more and more these days, you know? So, uh, often people can't go to therapy about it and all that, but they do have their friends. Um, if you know someone who's going through a hard time, like what do you do or what do you tell your viewers to do? 
So always talk about it or reach out for help. And the first, first and foremost, I think that in my experience and with my friends in my personal circle, people always don't want to, people, I seem to get this theme like, well, I don't want to feel like a burden or my problems don't matter. And they've got their own stuff that's going on. And the thing of it is, is that people probably do have their own stuff going on, but if you're open enough to talk about your own stuff, you guys may connect and help each other. And so I always tell people, don't be afraid to talk. You've got to get those things out of your heart and your head for your body and your brain to start processing them. Always, there's always somebody willing to listen. And if you don't have access to a counselor or a therapist, usually I know over here, there are scholarships and grants and there's online programs and there's different things that you can do, but never feel like you have to sit with something alone because that's a scary place to be. And that's when things start getting really heavy when you feel like nobody's gonna get it. Um, even if they don't get it, just to have somebody to listen to you, you know, you just can't be afraid to talk and, and know that there's nothing wrong with you if you need to talk about something. You're not broken, you're human. And I can't say that enough. You're gonna get sick of me saying that, but you're human. We all have stuff and life isn't easy you know, and, and that's okay. But I think we have a sort of this projection in, of a society where it's like, well, it should be easy, but it's not, it's yeah. tough. Yeah. We all come from unique circumstances. So mm -hmm. one person's story won't be another person's story. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Luckily for us, uh, I have the two lads here. If I want to, if I ever have a problem, I can talk to these lads, no problem. And the same goes with them. So mm -hmm. we're very fortunate in that way. Yeah, that's been yeah. very clear. Like even like at the start of the podcast, like we even before the podcast, we're all like good friends. Mm -hmm. But um, I, th I think like you know spending the last nearly hundred days with these lads has uh, really kind of opened. It's ninety nine uh, days today, isn't it? Ne yeah, but I said nearly hundred. Uh, no, just being just being sure. Oh yeah, this, 90, this, yeah, 90, this episode's coming out after. This will be episode one hundred one. Nice. Uh, Oh yeah! Congratulations, that's Thank big. You. Thank you. Thank you very much. But yeah, like just spending that amount of time with the lads, and even like outside of it when we play, um, like PlayStation and stuff like that, uh, it's been very helpful. Like, because like yeah. when you spend when you spend a certain amount of time with someone, you you start to realize that you're not, uh, like you're not very, you're not as different as you. Oh yeah. So like, yeah, to them, yeah. And isn't that what we, I think, all crave on some basic level is to feel connected and accepted somewhere? Fuck yeah. yeah. You know, and oh, that yeah, acceptance is just like, it's one of the greatest gifts to just know that you can be your authentic self and you found your people. That's what home is. Home isn't a place, it's your people, you know? Yeah. So. That's very true, yeah. No, you got, you got a great point there. Um, so you do this professionally anyway. Yes. Uh, so what, what's your exact title? So I'm a licensed professional counselor and a psychotherapist. Okay. So obviously this is, this is like a huge part of your life. When someone comes to you, uh, what would be the most common case of what they're, what they're going through? What a loaded question. Um, I think, honestly, what I'm seeing the most of um, is anxiety. So anxiety and depression. 
seem to be unfortunately very common. Um, although side note, after quarantine, I'm counseling more couples than I've ever counseled. Uh, <laughs> but <Jesus>. yeah. <laughs> Did, wasn't there a thing when Italy, where they were like completely locked down, they had like the highest rate of divorce in yeah. years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that was a rough patch. As well as that, there was a uh, domestic abuse went up so high. Oh, that, especially yeah. in the UK for some yeah, reason, like, it was yeah. so so bad. Yes, yeah. Same here, um, and we're definitely seeing more depression and anxiety surrounding the pandemic. But I think just in general, I've been seeing a lot of um, young people, late teens, early twenties, with crippling anxiety, um, and. It's, you know, I think a lot of it, I don't know how, I don't, I, I won't ask, but I don't know how old you guys are, but I grew up, I'm old enough that I grew up without a cell phone. And I think that we underestimate a lot of what social media and being so connected does to our young kids regarding building a self-identity and figuring out how to problem solve things and that they're okay to make mistakes. And so then they get out on their own and they're so anxious about making a mistake or not being accepted that that creeps into their relationships and their professional lives. And they just haven't developed this self-identity or this self-confidence. And it's really a crippling thing that I'm seeing a lot of. Yeah. Yeah. So would you say then like, that over the last few years since like you know new technology and all has been introduced that it's been kind of like higher than it was before oh yeah oh a hundred percent and um you know the rate of suicide is on the rise here um and so i think you know anxiety is at an all-time high and coping skills are at an all-time low i think to to kind of sum that up and a lot of people that I encounter don't really know how to understand or sit with their emotions. And when they have a bad one, they're like, I just want it to go away. I want it to go away. So they self-medicate or they avoid it because they don't know what to do with it. They've never been given the opportunity to really like make a mistake or have a negative emotion. But I can't, you know, stress enough that one thing that I stress with all of my clients and I've talked about on the podcast is you've got to learn to have a relationship with both the good stuff and the bad stuff because they're all windows into understanding you. And until you learn how to have a relationship with the bad stuff, you're going to avoid it and be afraid of it. And it will be crippling. Yeah, I think we see a lot more, um, I've been seeing a lot more parents that we over here call the helicopter parents or the lawnmower parents where they just do everything for the child because they don't want them to feel failure or to feel something bad. Yeah. So then when they're 19, 20, they have no idea what to do with something that doesn't feel good. So it's really a cycle. But yes, I would say in the last few years, people work. Yeah, well, I, I agree with what you're saying there because, like, obviously, um, when people can sit with like kind of bad emotions and bad things that happen to them like you have to think about it in a way where it's like oh uh something good will happen yeah and something bad will happen yeah but it's all just gonna like make me into a better person yeah yeah and it's gonna develop you more it's gonna develop you and i also think that you know there are really opportunities or windows to learn about yourself yeah why does something make you sad why does something piss you off 
yeah. you know, what, what does that mean? And what does that mean for you? Like, so, okay, so what do you need? Do you need to find a different friend or a different environment so you're not pissed off or, and, and I think sitting with that and trying to understand yourself, we underestimate the importance of really getting to know ourselves. And it's the most important relationship you'll ever have, really. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I wanted to talk. What well, I wanted to talk to you about um, self-diagnosis and people also self-medicating. I seen you brought that up a second ago. Yeah. So uh, I guess let's start with people self-diagnosing. If you're okay with that. Sure. You mean um, when people self-diagnose with like anxiety or depression or yeah yeah i think there's a lot of uh, misinformation out there so something that i see a lot in men for example is sometimes people will just kind of diagnose them as an asshole <laughs> because they're irritable and angry but the number one hallmark sign of clinical depression in men is anger and irritability and when we think about depression, we think not getting out of bed and not eating and being really low. Signs and symptoms present differently in men and women and different age groups as well. So I caution people all the time about Dr. Google or self-diagnosing because I think there is a lot of misinformation and generalizations out there. And I see young men in here all the time where I, you know, I had one a couple of weeks ago and he came in and he's angry and irritable and he doesn't know why and it's going on for weeks and then he isolates and I said well how long has this been going on he's like probably about 10 years and we got him diagnosed and medicated and within three weeks he's like I never even knew the world could look like this and so you know before you diagnose yourself with something make sure you have all the facts um I hear a lot of people say things like well, I, I have a fear of commitment or I have trust issues and that's just part of who I am. But I also go back to on that before you diagnose yourself with that, take a look at who you're surrounding yourself with, right? Are you surrounding yourself with untrustworthy people? Like we are our own worst critics and self-diagnosis in this day and age is a really easy thing to get into, but there are always answers and there's always somebody hopefully that can help and at least guide you on a better path because knowledge is power. And if you're just assuming, you're not giving yourself the chance you need to actually feel better and to live with whatever it is you're dealing with. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I'm processing that, give me a second. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Going to school, we, we knew a lot of people who self-diagnose themselves with a lot of things. The lads would agree, would you? Yep. Um, I feel like if they had gone to therapy or found any kind of professional help, they would have been way better off. Mm, yeah. But sadly, they didn't get to. Do you ever see that? There's like a Dr. Phil clip of this guy. And I, I know saying Dr. Phil now, you're, you're thinking oh, it's going to be extravagant. It is. This guy, he has that thing where he he diagnoses himself with different diseases every day. He was so a like, Mexican model, wasn't he? I think he was, George, yeah. I just so seen he, that episode. He coughed and then he went to his mom and said, Oh, I have lung cancer. But then, oh. you know, it'll it'll go away. Or he'll sneeze and he's got hypothermia. <clears throat> like yeah. 
That's that's probably to he, the extreme of self. That is. That, he that also is said he was schizophrenic. That is definitely the extreme. Mm, yeah. But yeah. what they said to him was that he kept thinking about it so much that he was like at risk of actually getting it. Yeah. Mm. That's, then, a, no, that, that's a rough. That's the rough thing. Yeah. That's yeah. the one thing where it's like um. Uh, people try, like kind of self-diagnosing even like just diseases on Google. Like you could be like. Oh yeah, I have this like itch on my back. What is that? And they're like, Oh yeah, you have tumors all over your back. Yeah. And it's like, what? Yeah. It's, well, uh... you know, here's the deal with that. And I love Dr. Phil and I saw that episode, but <laughs> Dr. Phil would tell you there's always a payoff for someone's behavior. So, you know, if you're excluding real mental illness or some real pathology of what's going on, you know, what's the payoff? him to keep doing that is it attention um but you also have to remember too like your brain is constantly wired to try to protect you so that's why like people with crippling anxiety or the people that get panic attacks you know i always say you've got to get up and move away from the danger because your brain's looking for danger because it wants to connect those emotional dots and say how do we protect our person so the more you talk about this stuff and kind of convince yourself that it's happening, your brain's like, thank God we've got something to be afraid of and protect them from. It's really kind of a mind F for lack of a better term, you know, because yeah. it's um, your brain is like the best thing ever and your worst enemy sometimes because you really can change your thought patterns to an you know, an adverse reaction to where you really believe this stuff is happening and you're living in a delusional reality. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that was an intense one. I remember that he thought he was schizophrenic. Yeah. Was I, was I right when I said, uh, that he was at risk of getting it because of fixating on it? He did, he did know something about researching it for like 10 hours a day. Jesus. Oh God. Yeah. That's insane. That yeah. Is, yeah. That's, I mean, and that, <clears throat> him. You know, that can't be a great existence for him, I wouldn't no. imagine. But I think that he got himself into this pattern of behavior or this this thought process of fear, and it just consumed his life, you know? And that takes some real intensive work to break that pattern and to understand that you are safe and you are okay and to start living a different normal. Yeah, that, uh, yeah that was an intense one. Do you think that guy actually recovered? <laughs> I had a huge debate about it. Do I think he recovered? You know, I, I, I think the better question is, did he want to recover? Because my thing with that show was that, well, look at all the attention he's getting now. Does he really want the help? You know, yeah. it's just validating his existence of being a problem. Um, and so I always tell people in therapy, you get out what you put in. And if you're not going to get brutally honest with yourself and really commit to making some changes, you probably won't do better because I can, I can empower you and support you and inspire you till the cows come home. But unless you're committed to wanting it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And the thing with Dr. Phil now is that so many people abuse the power of him. You have so many people that go on the show to become famous. Oh, I remember that one girl now. Yeah. Who, and there was also a YouTuber yeah. with blue hair. Are you, are you, Thomas, are you about to, are you about to mention uh, Bad Baby, Catch Me no, Outside Girl? I was, I was, I wasn't <laughs> going to mention her because I don't like her. I was going to mention the other one. Who, All right. Was, oh, she, 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 her mom wasn't going to let her buy a car. 
And so she phoned Dr. Phil saying, my mom's abusing me. She won't buy me a car. <laughs> and oh, Dr. Phil sent her to the ranch, like got her back out, you know, thought it was okay. And then came back. <laughs> then she turned out she started a YouTube channel where she's like, oh yeah, it was fake. You know, me mom, she was always going to buy me the car. We just kind of oh, wanted to. Well, yeah. That's it, well, that, that, It wasn't on Dr. Phil, but I remember seeing that someone, um, someone's parents, I think, got them a... Was it a Bentley or was it a Ferrari? I think it was a Ferrari. Someone's parents got them a red Ferrari and they were like, I wanted a white one. They crashed the Ferrari so that their parents would get them a white one. Oh, oh my God. And I was just like, if I ever found this person. Right. I mean, that's years of... You want to talk about parenting style and enabling? Yeah. You know, they, they created that. That child wasn't born that way. Yeah. Mm. I also wanted to talk about nature versus nurture. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. <clears throat> so, moving on from that into self-medication, like, I know a lot of people who stopped taking their meds and instead started taking CBD since it became legal in Ireland. Is that is that a thing that's happening in the States as well? Totally happening in the States. And marijuana is legal here in Colorado. So we've got THC and the CBD and, um, you know, I can tell you from a mental health perspective, the CBD, I've read a couple of medical journals and some things backed by some science regarding inflammation and anxiety. And it's really cool what it's doing. And I, I think that there's definitely some promising, promising things happening in the CBD world. Um, the THC world of marijuana, yeah, the self-medicating with it, I don't, I don't support it. I don't love it. And here's why. I think it actually induces a stress cycle. CBD. So people know THC. Oh. Um, I can't. I oh, think, no, I didn't want to go into an article. Sorry, keep talking. Ignore me. I'm, the, I'm just a guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it makes it worse. I think it makes people's anxiety worse. They think it's helping. But I, I don't buy it. I've seen it. I worked in, in um, an emergency department before I went into private practice. And I, I think what it does is it, it's kind of like alcohol. It masks the real issue. Yeah. And until you gain some coping skills and some life skills to work through what you're working with, you're just essentially masking the root of the problem. And so that's my concern with it. You know, if you're going to use it recreationally or once in a while, like, great, have at it. But if you're using it to treat something like depression and anxiety, but you're not actually getting to the, the root of why that's happening in the first place, it's just going to be there when you're not high or you're not drunk or whatever you're doing. Um, and that's the problem. So would you say CBD is a good thing then? Um, I've seen good things. Yeah. I've never used it myself, but I've definitely seen, um, way less side effects and people athletes are having good response with it regarding inflammation yeah, nearly every athlete in the UFC like is I've on been, CBD I've been hearing um, yeah I've been hearing what is it even ads on the radio now for like CBD companies and everything and I'm like what yep like well, there's I, a lot of stigma to it yeah it does, it does have a stigma to it but like you know when you read up on it it's the the whole like the whole stigma around like marijuana and stuff like that is is to do with the THC because like oh it makes people lazy and you know they just 
all they do is laugh and they don't have a job and stuff like that. But like, right. it then if you tell them all this stuff about CBD, they're like, yeah, but the THC still there. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, the the THC stuff is, um, you know, it's it's like I said, it's legal here in Colorado. And so there's, there's shops on, on every corner. And so yeah. when I was working at the hospital before I went into private practice, um, some of my funniest stories are of tourists coming to visit Colorado and they'd get so excited because marijuana is legal and they'd get the edibles and they'd eat the whole thing. Oh God. And an hour later, start freaking out. And they... <laughs> hour so. that's the one thing i hear about edibles is just that like people are like they'll take one if it's like brownie they'll eat one brownie and they'll be like i feel nothing yeah Darn, you see that. Mic, Thomas, I think that's your mic. that is probably my mic Thomas. is it gone yes still gone and we're back yeah but it's um Darn, you're the type of guy like, that would do that shit shut up hold on <laughs> but it's like they'll, they'll eat one they'll be like i feel nothing no they <laughs> eat two like still feel nothing and, eat three, and then it'll all hit them at once and it's just bro. like yeah. Oh Jesus! You're just describing they... yourself, man. Come on, stop that. Um... <laughs> Hello, Joey Diaz has a story where he took one, and it took him about three hours for it to do anything. Yeah. They say, I think they say, don't quote me on this, but they say you're supposed to dose it five milligrams every hour, and so you're supposed to take five and wait. And... He took a thousand milligram. Jesus. <laughs> he, he, he split it in half with another comedian home is he alive well <laughs> he's alive no, don't if there's much to be said about his brain at the moment i don't know if he's there but he's alive <laughs> joey diaz yeah. Okay. yeah kind of just shows up and he's like yeah yeah it's me that guy oh <laughs> he's kind of funny though oh he's hilarious yeah but, um, was he on the rogan show i'm not sure He's been on it like twice yeah, or three yeah, times, right? Yeah, a couple yeah, times. No, yeah, he, he, they're, no. they're lifelong friends. Look, look, I just, I'm not seeing that right there. It's like a first clip of the two of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, uh... yeah. Anyway, sorry. Cardiologist once, um, and it was like toward the end of my shift when I was at the hospital, and basically his wife dropped him off and said, "I can't deal with it." Same deal. He had taken, he wanted to see what it was like, didn't feel anything, took more. <laughs> the hospital at five o'clock that night and showed up at 6.30 the next morning for my next shift and he was still asleep in the emergency room. So, I mean, oh, their power. <laughs> Must have been one crazy dream. Oh my God, right? Yeah. <laughs> Imagine he just dreamt he was at work for the whole thing and he woke up and he was like, great shift, everybody. Thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs> Great things were, hey, I like what you did on that surgery. You were great. Hey, give this guy a raise. Am I right, everyone? You know? <laughs> Let's get a round of applause for this guy. And he wakes up and he's like, where am I? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's weird. Definitely. Um, but obviously there's people who self-medicate with stuff other than CBD. Oh, yeah. Um, what, in the U.S., would, would you, or what would, would, with what you've experienced, what would be the most common... Uh, alcohol. I think alcohol, heroin's on the rise. Oh. Uh, dates, unfortunately. Um, but in my experience of living out here on the West Coast, it's alcohol. I see a lot of alcoholics who start just because they're numbing and it's better to 
kind of numb out and be the life of the party um, or just feel nothing. And then before they know it, you know, their body's addicted to alcohol. And it's one of the nastiest withdrawals when they decide they want to stop and your body goes into withdrawal. It's um, it's tough. It's terrible. I mean, I've seen people in the hospital for weeks coming off alcohol. And um, it's, you know, it's easily accessible here in the States. I mean, you buy it everywhere. There's a liquor store on every every corner and it's legal. So I think that, you know, yeah. And that's honestly, that's the nastiest one for me in, in what I've treated and experienced in the saddest one is alcohol. We're Irish and we yeah. know a fair bit about the drink. We can yeah. for that. Um, that has definitely a- been a problem here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, what was I going to say? It's, uh, pro- it's honestly like, it's the most easily accessed. Yes. Gotcha. Cause like, you know, People can go into pharmacies and then you have to get a prescription for certain things. But then, like, you know, you walk into a shop. As long as you have your ID, you're pretty much sorted. Like, you can get it. Yeah. Exactly. Many people, you know. And it goes so many different percentages for, like, whatever. So if someone wants to get, like, blackout, oh, yeah, they go for, like, whiskey and drink the oh, entire yeah. bottle or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah for anyone Irish, drinkaware.ie is a great resource. Yep. You're looking to stop drinking. Yeah. Uh, I know right now during COVID, you know, it's very tempting, but uh, don't. Sure. I know myself, I've gone through it as, as well. So have the lads. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, stay away from it as much as you can. Yeah. Obviously you can, ha- obviously, you can have a drink every so often now, like, for, like if you're out with friends, but, like... For sure. You guys ever see that don't, Sweden drug don't out campaign? Where no. like, yeah. they have to like control where they've legalized like they've legalized like everything. Yeah. I think they do it in a safe environment. So it's like, you know, you, you probably can't read it, but it's like Sophie did not die when she tried LSD. She had the substance intestines and knew it was contained. John did not die when he overdosed on heroin. He was not alone and his friends had Naxalene. Is that what's Naxalone? Naxalone. Nar- Nar- okay. Yeah, their whole thing is like that. They, I, I think they, they've legalized everything in like control environments, and then they're just like, "Fuck it!" Like, if you want to, if you want to go and do that, do it. But like, here's a help center if See you want to get off. Bottom, of bottom left one. Yeah. MDMA. MDMA. That was legal in Ireland for one there... day, pretty recently. I got, what, oh, what, in twenty was it twenty fifteen? Yeah, one. Oh, twenty fifteen. I think all class. I think I think all class one drugs were legal. Really? Uh, for that I'm day. not too so sure with was, that. I think that it was, was M- definitely No, it was M- I swear to God, it was like MDMA. It was acid, I think. There was a lot. Obviously, don't do it. Yeah, like... You don't yeah. need me to tell you that. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you don't need shit like that to have fun. God, yeah. yeah. No, and, and... Well, and I think with the drinking thing, it's so socially acceptable. You know, it's yeah. like do something like we go skiing and there's you stop for a drink and it's just so easy and accessible and there's people and i want to say it's california have you guys heard about the microdosing retreats with yes acid? yes the what yeah so they're micro- small amounts and they're making it like a controlled environment so it's allegedly supposed to open your mind and help you deal with past trauma or addiction or different things that you've been struggling with. It's supposed to open your 
mind and they do it in a structured environment and they microdose you. You know, that is much better than getting it illegally. Oh, yeah. yeah. You don't, like, you don't know where it's, like, especially mm-hmm. at festivals. LSD and MDMA and stuff, like, if you get it out, if you just go out in town and just get it, you don't know what's in it. You don't know where it's coming from. Like, it could be laced with anything. Exactly. It's not like the heydays of the Grateful Dead, you know, mm. in the 60s, 70s. It's much different now. And also much- in festivals and stuff. Because when you go to a festival, oh, yeah, people bring every- the worst type of drugs. Like, they bring over the leftovers of their leftovers like, and mix them all together. Just, and Yeah. How many yeah. people die at festivals in Ireland every year? Oh, not too many. Uh, I mean, I know the whole, the big thing with, like, in California with Coachella is, like, Molly. Everyone does it. Everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. just like, ugh. You I know, know. That can't be scary. good. It's scary. I've seen a... Yeah, we've I've seen a lot of it in the emergency department. Um, I, I could tell stories for hours about some of the ridiculous things I've seen. And it's just crazy to me what I understand being curious and I, I get it. And I'm certainly not one to judge. But that said, the question I always ask is you've got to ask yourself what's worth it. Like, why are you putting yourself in high risk situations, yeah. you know? with potential deadly consequences. Um, and so that's the scary part for me is I just, I don't think I could ever chill out enough to do it. I'd be scared the whole time. Yeah. That's so. the thing though. Like if, if like with these kind of, uh, you know, controlled environments and stuff like that, they could have it like purely produced mm-hmm. and like, you know, there's no bad things in it. Like, you know, exactly what's in it. They tell you and everything like that. And you just yeah. try it like one time. That yeah. would be like, smart i think even then yeah you, i guess I, I i started and i can't think of the name being a book about germans in world war ii and how uh, meth was actually legal at at first like way back pre-world war ii and then when they realized that they were going to be fighting this war and and up you know all hours and the whole nine yards basically the nazis were high on meth the whole time what? Yeah, that's how they went yeah. through the. <clears throat> that's how they took over France so fast. Mm-hmm. I've heard about this thing. The other and you, you can see how the war went on. It was like they just crashed over time. Yep, exactly. At the start, that they is, were unbeatable, and then they crashed. Insane. It's well, I mean, insane. it doesn't. It doesn't really surprise me because you know Coca Cola started out with cocaine in it, so. Yeah. Yep. As a medicine. Yeah, and it was the article I was reading, but. The, they were selling it in the pharmacies before they knew that it was bad and should be illegal, but it was more socially acceptable than drinking back in yeah. that time. So people were using that to cope with the loss of World War One. is how it started over in Germany, I'm pretty sure. And then they realized they could give it to the troops and they could stay up all night. That's yeah. That's, that's rough. You guys hear yeah. about this when the English, instead of dropping uh, bombs or anything over Germany... They dropped this thing, or wherever they were at the time, they dropped this, like, uh, how to get out of, like, pretend to be sick, to get out of duty, because not a lot of them wanted to be there. And so a lot of them started then pretending to be sick. And when they realized this, they stopped sending people home. But then people actually got sick, you know, were told to get back in there, got everyone else sick. I completely fucked them up. (laughs) Yeah. It was weird times. It was, yeah. Interesting. 
it's weird. Like I know, what is it? They've they've started to look into treating PTSD with um, uh, mushrooms. I think. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, I've heard of that before. Mhm. Um, it's a bit weird, but like if they actually study it and see if it actually helps, I think you know, mm-hmm. obviously, oh, it, it, it it'd be it'd be incredible. Like. Right. Especially for uh, our people that really struggle with intense PTSD. Yeah. That's tough stuff to work through. Um, and that's the understatement of the century. Uh, that's, you know, so anything that could help that, I'm in full support of. Yeah. yeah. Sadly, with, like, the amount of shit that's happened in the last 50 years and, like, just people surviving it and all, like, even, like, just veterans going to war and seeing, like, people you've known for years just... Yeah, we're like gone in an instant. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that that's not gonna do anything for your mental health. Like, no, and it's horrible. That you you can't avoid, and when you try to, they come up when you least expect them. That's why it's so important um, with any kind of trauma, intense trauma, to acknowledge. that that happened in attempt to work through it because that stuff creeps in when you least expect it. And it's uh, definitely not something you want to avoid. And it's probably some of the toughest work people will ever do. Um, I think we underestimate that a lot, especially with our soldiers coming home. Yeah. That's a big thing with you guys. You got a lot of, a lot of people in the armed forces compared (laughs) to the rest of the world. Yeah. We have a very small defense force. Yeah. Uh, lads, Thomas, can you check how much it is? I think it's like 7,000 to 14,000 people. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's not that much at all. Yeah. And we've never been involved in, in armed conflict. Whereas yeah, you guys... We're completely neutral. Like, we, still have, we still have prop planes. We, we don't even use jets. So, like... Yeah. yeah, we yeah if that, if that tells you anything. Yeah. That's Australia. Uh, why do you get the Australian one? Hold on, Damas. We're not in Australia. <laughs> this is the awfully Australian party. What? <laughs> what the fuck? No. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> the reserve. Active personnel. That's Okay. Jeez. We're very, we you know take us over Reserves like that. Like... But uh. You're currently yeah. 8,550 active personnel in the defense force. Oof. I think that, that, made it, that uh, military age is wrong. You can join at 17. Yeah, you can. 17, you guys can? I think, I yes. think you, no, I think it's the reserves you can join at 17, is it not? Uh, okay. okay. I don't think you can actually go into the proper like defense forces at 17. It has to be reserves. Okay. And then from, yeah, and then from reserves, you can go into uh, defense forces. Yeah, we... Um... We have a obviously a pretty robust military over here, and I would yeah. say a not nearly robust system in place to help them all. Yeah. And you know, my my boyfriend was in the Air Force, and um, so he's got a really close group of friends that we see all the time. And just hearing them talk about trying to get into a therapist at the VA or a doctor at the VA, it's um, I'm just I I'm thankful every day they're as well adjusted as they are. Because they're some of the best guys I've ever met. And I just think, you know, I just, I'm thankful every day that they're good. Because I know that a lot of people aren't. Yeah. So it's tough. That's the thing about, like, veteran meetings and stuff. Because, um, you know, 
there's some difference between like talking to someone who's been through the same things you have and like talking to a civilian in that case you know because like all all we see is like kind of newsreels and movies and stuff like that but like they experience it firsthand so yeah i think those like when there's more uh kind of veteran meetings it's yeah like that's i mean and that is actually such a brilliant point because and i i'll out my boyfriend here for a second he was looking at getting some counseling and i had a couple in the area that i really wanted him to see because the va was taking forever to get in place and i'm like you just need to go talk to somebody and he finally said to me but they won't understand what i'm talking about they i need somebody who gets it and it was in that moment where i thought oh my god how could i have missed that yeah Oh, it was worth the wait for him just to be around people that got it. And he worked with a couple of veterans at work now. He's at the hospital. And um, just that camaraderie and that connection that they have, um, which really, to bring it full circle, when we talk about talking about your problems and talking about problems with your friends, building that connection with somebody that's either been there or can understand you is just invaluable. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, the thing, and it doesn't it, it spans across ages because I know I've seen I've seen a video of um Thomas if you can pull it up there quick it's a it's a UK World War Two veteran talking to a uh, a current kind of uh, UK military man mm-hmm. and just the, the World War Two he's just like he looks at me he's like you've been through a lot son and he's just like yeah yeah I think uh, that guy went through that they can just tell. You guys hear about Mike, that Tom Moore? Yeah, guy? I think so. Yeah, that guy's so cool. He did like a hundred no, in his backyard, raised yeah. thirty-eight million for the for the look NHS. Up, yeah, just look up. Um, Old versus new British military. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's the one. Mm. But yeah, just seeing the way like it's that's how many years in the difference? Like World War World War Two was like eight years ago, <laughs> and yeah. like it's. It's 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 insane. Just yeah. to see that they can talk about something that happened so far apart. Mm-hmm. It's it's called Old Soldier Meets Young Soldier. It's made by the Gap. There we go. Yeah, the Gap. There it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that video is. It hits hard. Yeah, it's a really it's almost a beautiful connection. Um, yeah, it's. They're amazing men and women, that's for sure. Yeah. I'm thankful for all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'd love to live in a world where we didn't need them to do what they do, but we no. don't live in that world yet. Yet. And like yeah. it's, it's very, it's very hard as well because I know even like watching movies, what happened? You, you guys know who Chris Coyle is, right? Yes. No, sir. American Sniper. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh man, that movie's <laughs> so sad. That's an incredible movie. By the way, uh, I haven't I haven't got the chance to read the book yet, but no. uh, yeah, sadly no. killed by his uh, by a fellow veteran who's suffering help. from PTSD. Yeah, mm. yeah. That yep. dude, so. it, it just shows you that it doesn't it doesn't go away. No, no, it's something you have to. I think you have to face, but I think the biggest thing that I've learned just with my friends that are veterans and I work with. Um, some veterans in my they've got to get to a place where they're ready and I think more so than ready they need to feel safe yeah. and 
it's a really hard jump for them to make to realize that maybe they do need to work through something. Um, and that's really, that's a really difficult thing because they're so used to protecting and being on point and, and carrying out a job that to really think that maybe they need some help. I think that's a tough thing um, to wrap their heads around. And so I think, you know, a safe environment, um, but yeah, they've got to be ready to, it's tough. It's tough. It is, yeah. Boys, you you talked to Damien Tomlinson. I I I wasn't there for that, but did he yeah. speak on? Uh, Damien Tomlinson like is an Australian vet veteran oh, who you want to look him up there. Lost both his legs in Afghanistan. Um, Wasn't it he was an IED? In, yeah, he's sitting on the right side of the car, and just underneath him was the IED, and that, he doesn't remember the rest. Uh. He remembers afterwards. Yeah. Uh, amazing guy. Awesome. Great dude. to talk to him. He was in, what was it, Australian Survivor? Yeah. Yeah. And he is a huge player in uh, golf in Australia. Yeah. Wow. Like one of the best. He, what, what a recovery he, story. He, like. he, he said something about he has the highest handicap Handicap in uh, Australian golf. Wait, shit, really? But yeah. he, he wishes he didn't have it because he could do it without it. Really? He's just really good. Good for him. Yeah, he, he was a great guy to have on. Amazing guy. Yeah, he was mm. awesome. Unfortunately, Been through was... hell and back and came yeah. out the other side. You know? Yeah. An amazing spirit. And it's I a, think... It, yeah. It's that's... motivational to look at. Like, sorry, now. No, I'm... I was just going to say that's what amazes me about our veterans is that their spirit and their their loyalty is just second to none. Yeah. So, yeah. It's something I feel honored to be to get to know any of them. So I'm, I'm proud of, of my boyfriend every day. And my sister was in the army and my brother-in-law was a pilot. So yeah, very, lots of pride over here. Um, I guess moving on from self-medication and yeah. self-diagnosis, I want to talk as well about nature versus nurture when it comes to mental illness. Yeah. So in your they opinion, which one is gonna cause it more often? Well, so there are some, you know, there's the genetic component too. Yeah. So if we've got somebody that we're looking at that maybe is having their per first psychotic break, bipolar, schizophrenia, even depression, one of the first questions we always ask is, does this run in your family? And nine times out of 10, you'll say, well, yeah, they'll say my grandmother, my grandfather, my mother, it's there. We know there's a genetic component to it. Whether or not that gene expresses, right, and they have a psychotic break, that's a lot more science and well above my pay grade. But regarding nature versus nurture when it comes to things like um, anxiety and uh, depression and, and those types of more generalized terms, I think how parents support that child as they grow up with it definitely tends to uh, lend itself toward how they manage it um, as they're older. And I do think that that matters. I do think that having a supportive environment, having an environment where it's not pushed under the rug or it's like a stigma and we don't talk about it, that matters. Um, and I see that a lot with, 
well, you're not depressed. You're not depressed. You're just having a bad day. And these kids are crying out for help and they're depressed. Um, and it's a real thing. And so, yeah, I think that matters. And I think that it can make it worse if they're dismissed and, um, brushed under the rug, like they don't matter. That causes way more problems, um, down the road based on how they manage it. Um, and so, you know, I think in general, nurture, um, nurture is a big deal. It's, and when we talk about like the kid with the Ferrari and, the kids aren't born like that. Um, kids are parented uh, to be that way. And a lot of times how we get our needs met as children, we it works for us. And then it isn't until we're older that we're like, this isn't working anymore. Um, this isn't working in my adult relationships. And that's when people start to take a look at their childhoods and say, what isn't working? Um, but, I, you know, back to the, the genetic component. Yeah, we definitely know there's a genetic component. There's a genetic predisposition to alcoholism. So I always tell parents, if there's alcoholism in their family, you've got to have conversations with your kids to let them know they may be more predisposed. So they need to be careful about their relationship with alcohol and drugs. I didn't um, know any, I didn't know about that. I've been told before that I was a complete mess. Yeah. Nope. But not, not by an expert, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Could there's you a, tell, tell us a bit about that? What's that? Could you tell us a little bit about this? Uh, predisposition to alcoholism yeah so we know that there's a genetic component and when you look back through families and generations a lot of times you'll see a really long line of alcoholics and it'll be great grandpa was but nobody really admitted it and so there is a gene that um when i say a genetic predisposition for whatever reason some people are more predisposed to having that addictive personality or when they start to drink the alcohol, um, you know, their body reacts or processes that differently. And so there is a predisposition to it. That being said, people without a disposition to it can still become alcoholics. Um, but people with that genetic history or that family history of it are much more likely, unfortunately, to succumb to that addiction. And so it's certainly something that I think that we need to talk to kids about because it's a very real thing. Why that gene expresses and why they're just predisposed to, I, that I can't really speak on. Um, but it's it's pretty interesting stuff. And like I said, a lot of times if you look back on the family history, it goes all the way back, all the way back. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely something to be aware of. Sorry, no, this is probably a bit of a stupid question, but um, <laughs> not at all. If if someone was to, like, say uh, they weren't genetically predisposed to be, uh, like, uh, to alcoholism, yep. and uh, they just became an alcoholic, would somewhere down the line of, like, that generation, could there be a genetic predisposition for it? Oh, my God. That's an awesome question. Uh, that's super interesting to think about. And to be quite honest, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I, I don't know the answer to that. But that is, that's an interesting question. I mean, it has to start somewhere, doesn't it? Yeah. So that's what that's what I was thinking. I was just like, you know, like when the first monkey got drunk, and then <laughs> years yeah. later, here we are. <laughs> right. I think, you know, cavemen are killing each other, and now we're doing. So, I, so, I, so yeah, so, imagine. I mean, we still have we still have parts of that. I mean, UFC is kind of <laughs> combat. The sports UFC are kinda... heavyweight division is the closest there is to gladiators these days. Yeah. 
All they need is those big sticks. Yeah, <laughs> spears. Shuck a lion in there. <laughs> Please don't do that. Uh, oh well done, you won the fight. Okay, bring out the rhinoceros. <laughs> <laughs> after after a six round fight, you know, bringing the rhinoceros afterwards. Yeah, like lean, leaning on the knees, just <sighs> and then you just hear the fucking footsteps of this rhinoceros just coming into the ring. You're like, come on, man. Dana White with a massive horn I... battle cry. <laughs> Dana White for being the rhinoceros and put in jail forever. <laughs> yeah. But could you That's imagine gonna the scene? He's going to resign as UFC president. Um, okay, so we got about eight minutes left. Just fucking so call in the rhinoceros. While we're on the topic of uh, the UFC, um, yeah. brain damage from fighting. Yeah. Have you ever had to talk to anyone or talked with someone who's had an issue like uh, this? Not from fighting, per se. Um, we have a lot of alpine athletes out here skiing and snowboarding and, um, people with traumatic brain injuries. And yeah, that is, um, extremely unfortunate. So a lot of times they'll, we'll see like impulsivity control stuff. They'll have a hard time controlling their impulses. Um, they have a hard time with emotions and regulating their emotions. They can. Um, Parkinson's disease tends to be more prevalent in them. I think Muhammad Ali had Parkinson's, didn't he? I was going to bring that up, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, in his last fight, he he had the beginnings of it and he still fought. Yes. And he got he got beaten pretty bad. It was very yeah. sad. Well, yeah. That's a terrible disease. Um, yeah, you ever see that video of him and Mike Tyson? Like, a couple years no. down the line, Mike's in his... He's, like, mimicking his... Uh, the, you know the shuffle he did? And Tyson, uh, not Tyson, Ali just looks, well, old, I guess. Yeah, near near the end of his life, he kind of looked like he wasn't there, which was yeah. really upsetting. It's horrible. Because yeah. he's such, he was so, like, he's one of the, if not the biggest boxer of all time. Oh, he's the greatest. Yeah. Yeah. You have to in wonder, every like, gym, part of that in every single, like, boxing fight. gym you go to, that quote is plastered everywhere, and his face is everywhere. Yeah. Sh- Sean O'Malley has a tattooed onto his... Uh, his side, Ooh. yeah. As much as he's an asshole, Sean O'Malley, uh, I mean, that's a good tattoo to have. Yeah. yeah, well, and with Parkinson's disease, you typically get a type of dementia called Lewy body dementia. So, a lot of times, when you say like he looks there, it's a progressive disease, and the dementia is, um, it, well, which leads to cognitive changes and behavioral changes. So a lot of times those guys have a really hard time with impulse control too, which is why that disease is just so just terrible because who, who he was when he was young, a lot of times your brain takes over because it's sick and they do things that may seem out of character or impulsive and it's just not who heartbreaking. Yeah. So Yeah, it's sad. Uh... I still remember yeah. the um, I still remember the morning that happened. I was actually at Thomas's, and the next morning they were talking about how he had a fight in Ireland one time, and they mm. actually they built the ring. They 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 didn't have like a training gym around here or anything, but he was around here, and he trained in Eden Derry, and they built the uh, ring in uh, Road Power Station, mm. which is Does just Eden up Derry the road. Boxing club still use that. Uh, what oh. that ring? 
I know the guy. I know the guy. I mean, they'd probably like. I mean, that'd be a thing they'd want to keep, right? Oh yeah, of course. Like that would be a huge part of history to be like, oh yeah, see this ring. You know, Muhammad Ali trained in this ring. For context, our town is void of history. Yeah, we have pretty much. No, history in Ireland begins basically when the British left, because a lot of it was like not documented beforehand. And destroyed, like Thomas said. Yeah, so the, our history begins. Oh, you have our history from like a thousand years ago, and then it jumps to a hundred years ago. Everything yeah, between like, is gone. You, yeah, you have like it goes back to like kind of Iron Age and stuff when they were like cooking things in like holes in the ground, and then oh, it goes from that to like with the Irish Vikings. Yeah. What what what's what's the name of that? Is it Fulukfia? I wouldn't be too sure. I, th- I think it is, but um, <laughs> then it goes from there to like, uh, oh. shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, it goes from there to like, uh, you know, Catholic people uh, teaching in like hedge schools because they didn't want to get caught by uh, the British. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of, uh, a lot of history that's being questioned right now. It's an interesting time over here. Oh yeah, yeah. You guys are having yeah. it fun. You guys are having it rougher than anyone else. We're having a rougher good time. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Hope. Thankfully, with us, it's a bit more clear cut. Yeah. Um, we know who to hate. Exactly. <laughs> God. I'm not gonna name them my name, but I mean, sure you, all right. You know like, who you are, and you know if they were still like, alive, right, we'd okay, be honest. Listen, listen, listen. Okay. <laughs> we love the current British people, but we have to admit that. Colonial Britain. Oh my god. Britain has fucked over so many countries. Just think about it. You got us. You got you guys. You got India. You got Australia. You got a lot of Africa. Mm. Yeah. They've gotten everywhere. They took that part of Spain. Gibraltar. The Falklands and Argentina. Malta. They own land everywhere. They literally, they pretty much, they said they made an entire country, a huge, massive country, which one state of that country is 36 times the size of our entire country. And they just said, hey, here's a big landmass. How about we make it a prison? That's, and yeah. They were just, they sent Irish people, they sent Scottish people, they sent English people, Welsh people, and now well, here it's we are. Australia. We've all, we're, we're all getting better. You yeah, know what? we are. Yes. Our four, 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 four fathers and mothers weren't the best, but here, we don't, yeah, we don't hold it against current uh, no. British yeah. people. No, yeah, maybe the Queen. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Dara, I'm kidding you. Dara, this is not the first time he said something about the Queen. He once said he'd shit in the throne room if there was no one else Love on it. the earth. Oh. <laughs> anyway, 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 we have to finish up real quick, but I want to ask one more thing. Yeah. Um, um, with with athletes, what is something that would be really common among them if they if they come in to talk to you? With I'm sorry, athletes, did you say? Yeah, of all kinds. Of all kinds. Broad question. Um, I have seen a lot of younger athletes, a lot of pressure. Um, which turns into anxiety and a lot of form. I will say something that I'm seeing more and more of are athletes that retire 
and their bodies start to go back to like normal human bodies and they have body dysmorphia and they're bulimic and anorexic because their identity is so wrapped up in being strong and athletic that when they're not training every single day, they don't know how to like, quote, kind of just be normal. Um, So I have been actually seeing more and more of that as well. Uh, A lot of pressure and a lot of pressure to perform. And I think a lot of their self-worth is wrapped up in whether or not they can compete and perform. So when they don't have that to attach their worth to, they don't really know who they are. And um, I wouldn't have thought about that. Yeah, that's that's been a big deal. Um, that's very, it's very obvious with ones when they get older, like, uh, Schwarzenegger and, uh, yeah, some old UFC fighters. I mean, you can't even say that about Mike Tyson because he's just kept the same type of body. Yeah, he's, he's been the same. I, or Sylvester Stallone, he stayed the same. There you he's go. He's like even 70-something. Schwarzenegger, he's still ripped. Have you seen him recently? No. I mean, he's, he'd still kill you. He would. <laughs> um, okay, so, <laughs> you know... I learned a lot today. Good. Sure you guys did too. Today, Thank me. you so much for getting on. I'm sorry Thank I picked you. your brain so much. No, I love it. Are you kidding? This was awesome. I appreciate you guys. I love what you're doing. Thank you. So much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I definitely enjoyed having you on. But if people want to go and check you out after this podcast, where can they find you? So the name of the podcast is What's Next with Lisa Scott. And I'm on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. And I think coming soon to Amazon, actually. Um, and I'm also on Instagram at What's Next with Lisa. And I put a lot of show topics up there. Um, and then people can always email me, too, if they're struggling with something and wants. There I am. I just see a picture of me in the left <laughs> bottom hand. <laughs> um, and they can email me at what's next with Lisa at gmail.com. So pretty easy to find. And how many episodes in are you so far? Oh, gosh, I think I'm only on 28. You guys have me beat by a long shot. Well, we're a daily podcast. We, we so. d- low daily. You guys go daily? Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I love it. I've got one coming up next. I'm going to be doing an episode on values. I've found that a lot of times I'll ask people, what, what are, what's your value system? What do you need? What's important to you? And they just look at me with blank stare. I have no idea what I need. And so we're going to dial it back and kind of simplify that down and talk about self-identity and, and establishing a value system that feels good so you're not making choices based on fear and avoidance. Yeah. That, that's coming next. Um, so I'm after this conversation, I'm now a huge fan, by the way. Yes. So I'm going to be checking out your podcast, definitely. Too, yeah. I don't say that very often, the podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> but well, uh, definitely I'm going to be checking out because... This stuff is very relevant, and yes. I love talking about it on the show. I like to be more educated on the topics, too. Well, thank you. That means a lot. And if you guys have an idea for um, a show or something you want to learn more about, let me know. I'm around. I'd love to do it. Of course. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Right. Well, uh, well thank you so much for coming on. Uh, guys, there's going to be links in the description to go check out Lisa's podcast. Uh, thank you so much. All right. Take care. Have and make fun. Sure you like, a pleasure. You too, have a great day. Comment. Tell your grandma about the podcast and take your handy. <laughs> Good luck. All right.